Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com. Take out your Bible. We are in a series called Everyday Kingdom. Uh, we spent the last couple weeks talking about work. Uh, didn't Sam and Jeff do a great job? Like, we just give them a round of applause. I don't know your last service, but um, I heard so many great reports. And walking around Israel, it made me excited just to continue this, this series the next couple of weeks because so much of what Jesus did was just in his everyday life. And sometimes I think we, we have to think, okay, to do like kingdom stuff, do we have to find an initiative, a nonprofit, uh, a missions trip, something when we serve at church on Sunday. But for Jesus, he didn't have like a ministry side hustle. It was just his every day. It was on his commute um, from Capernaum, right, to the Sea of Galilee. It was in his normal holidays and festivities when you'd gather around friends and family and so I felt so encouraged that the kingdom of God was not some strategic agenda that Jesus had on the side. It was just a part of his everyday life. And for us to adopt that, for him to come and use uh, your normal rhythm of life as a canvas for him to start painting his kingdom wherever you go. Uh, and so today's uh, sermon is going to be called Open Your Eyes. If you're taking some notes, open your eyes. Uh, quick question, has anyone ever been surprised by seeing something you've always imagined and it was different than what you thought? Have you guys ever heard like your favorite like musician the first time you saw them? You're like, I did not see that coming. Has anyone ever Googled your favorite radio host and you're like, whoa, did not see that coming? Um, just, just, it was had something clearly, something totally different in my mind. Um, I got to have a, a cool experience when I was in Israel of something I've always dreamt about, I've always imagined in my life, and that was getting a tattoo. Uh, so I got a pretty, pretty, some pretty serious work done when I was in Jerusalem. I think there's a picture of that. Yep, right there. So I get it, you know. All you guys have full sleeves. I understand now. Uh, pain. If you don't have tattoos, you don't get it like we get it, but... My eyes have been opened, you know? I, I, understand, I understand the pain, right? I have a needle on the bone for 15 seconds. <laughs> but uh, when, I was, when I was there, um, some of the pastors that we were with, it's like, it's like, hey, I know this guy in Jerusalem. It's always a good start. I know a guy. Um, but there is this family in old, the old city of Jerusalem that has this tattoo shop carved into part of the, the old archaeological wall, this family has been tattooing people for 27 generations. Since the 1300s, this Egyptian Coptic Christian family has been tattooing, and they still have some of the stamps that are 600 years old. Um, So if you ever want to get a cool tattoo, go to Jerusalem. I know a guy who's going to hook you up. Um, but I, but I, there's so much is sitting in that chair, and again, like, it was not long. It's the smallest tattoo you could possibly get, but I remember just being like, oh, this feels different than I thought it was going to feel, right? It smells different than I thought it was going to smell. The whole process of it was, was, wasn't good or bad. It was just different. And that really sums up my, my trip to Israel. 
Um, I've never been before. I've spent most of my life studying this book and studying about the nation of Israel and hearing story after story about the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. And then being there, I was like, I had no idea. My eyes were opened to a different um, facet of the history, of the scriptures, that made it just come alive. And I just wanted, as I'm coming back, that's my prayer for this church, is that I don't care if you've been sitting in church for 40 years, or this is your fourth Sunday, or your first Sunday, is every single one of us has more to discover about God. Our eyes can be open to greater understanding about who he is, his love towards us, and so I would highly encourage us this morning as we move into the text uh, that that would be our objective. We would see at a greater capacity the man, the mission, and the ministry of who Jesus is. And we're going to be doing that by looking in John chapter 9, uh, a little bit in John chapter 7, John chapter 9 mainly. Um, and we're going to be looking ab- about this place that I got to visit called the Pool of Siloam. Uh, so a couple of pictures I want to throw up there. Let's get that ugly finger off there. Um, uh, the first one is going to be a map. So this is the, the current city of Jerusalem. You can see that big square is the Temple Mount uh, where the old Western Wailing Wall is, where the Dome of the Rock is, and where the ancient temple used to be 2,000 years ago. And those two lines at the bottom is pointing to the Pool of Siloam. Now, the Pool of Siloam is really, really significant because for Jewish faith, everything has to be done with purity. Um, so water and cleansing and ritual baths were vital to their faith. And so this is a little bit over a mile away, and it's directly downhill. So, um, so and again, this is just all new for me. So you would travel down these steps um, and this pool is still there. Let's go to the next picture. They uh, actually, archaeologists found us in 2006. So not even that long ago, same year that Jen and I got married, they discovered where the Pool of Siloam uh, was. And, and they're, as they're digging it out, they're seeing more. It's this massive bath. And before that, they thought they knew it was. Let's go to the next picture. This is what they thought the Pool of Siloam was. Um, and that's still there. And that is at the foot of this spring that they... Dug that um, King Hezekiah's men dug from the spring of Gnom, uh, 500 yards, and would uh, collect itself at this pool. Super cool! You got you can actually travel through these tunnels uh, that men dug like 2,700 years ago um, by King Hezekiah's men, and you can and it's like about this wide, and you're going through, and sometimes you're like going down. There's still water flowing. Think about that. For two, over 2,500 years ago from the same spring water is still flowing into that pool um, as we speak. And so this pool was central to the Jewish faith um, for its ritual cleaning purposes because there's always fresh water going there. And our story really, although we're going to focus on John chapter 9 where Jesus heals this blind man, uh, and has to do with this pool. It begins before that. And the reason why, we're gonna be covering a lot of scripture this morning, but the reason is, is that when John writes his biography of Jesus' life, there's a purpose in mind. And there's a problem that's happening right then where people are beginning to question that, was Jesus really God? Did Jesus really claim 
to be God. And so there's all sorts of questions surrounding Jesus' divinity. When John writes his gospel, there is a very clear purpose in mind, and it is to make sure without a shadow of a doubt, definitively, Jesus is divine. He is the Son of God. But he doesn't just get out there and write that Jesus is God the end. He does it in a very Jewish way of pointing to every single thing they held in their life, their Sabbath, their festivals, and it all points to him and tells the stories as such. So we're going to begin actually in John chapter 7 when the Jewish people are celebrating what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is pretty, pretty cool if you're like a Patagonia person, you know, because the Feast of Tabernacles is when you get to live in a tent for a week. So you leave your house, and it's like mandated. So like hundreds of thousands of Jews travel to Jerusalem and live in tents. It's pretty cool. And uh, we've actually done this as a family before. Um, we like had all the kids stay in a tent on the feast of, it's called the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's this time where you remember Jesus, or, I'm sorry, when God brought the Israelites out of Israel and they're in the desert living in tents. And then God is dwelling with his people. And it's this really amazing festival where they party every single day. They're living in tents. There's a lot of eating and drinking. And every day they would pour water from the pool of Siloam over the altar as a symbol of refreshment. And on the last day, it's seven days, on the eighth day, it was called the great day. And this is when people go nuts. And so they would go and the priests, this whole procession of priests would go and gather water from the pool of Siloam. And they would hike it uphill a mile and they would just douse the altar with this water and they would shout, oh, in, in Hebrew, Hoshana, which we know as Hosanna, which means save now. It was this messianic cry, save us, God. Well, think about this happening, right? You've traveled into Jerusalem with your family. You're there maybe once or twice a year. And if you're from really far, maybe once in your life and you're there for the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's the eighth day. It's the great day of the Lord. And water is being brought up by the priests. And this is where we find ourselves in John chapter seven. It says, on the last day, verse 37, on the last and great day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Now this is wild. Um, I imagine Jesus standing on the, the, the temple steps that you can still stand on today. And as the water's coming up and people are getting ready for this massive celebration of water being poured over the altar, Jesus has the audacity to stand up and says, I'm the water you need. Drink from me and you will be satisfied. And he then goes on to say, that whoever believes in me, says living water will flow through him. Do, do you remember what's interesting about the Pool of Siloam? It gets its water from a spring. And this spring is a constant flow of fresh water. And he says, when you believe in me, you're going to have that same spring of water flowing through you. And then he clarifies it. He says, this water is meant by the Holy Spirit. And I just, I, I, as I'm reading, I couldn't help but think, that spring is still flowing. How cool is that? That Jesus knew that this spring not only f- would flow back then, but to this day, you can still go walk in that clean water. And Jesus says, that's my Holy Spirit. 
I'm the water you need. I'm what will satisfy you. And so the, the audience John is writing to is, is starting to pick up, oh, okay, G- Jesus maybe is more than we thought he was. That these feasts, these holidays are pointing towards him. Well, the, the religious rulers of the day are furious at this point. Who, who do you think you are? And then, but then it gets worse because um, the festival ends, and a few days later, we don't know how long, Jesus is still in Jerusalem, sitting on the temple steps, when a woman is brought to him, this is John chapter 8, caught in the act of adultery, and if you know the story, it's, it's beautiful and redemptive. They come with stones in their hands, saying the law tells us that we should stone this woman, what do you say? And Jesus' brilliance says, he who's without sin, cast the first stone They drop their stones, walk away, and Jesus says, go and sin no more, redeems this this woman who who culture wanted to obliterate. And at this point, the religious elite of the day have had enough. They're like, that's it. And so they begin this debate, this argument, this all of John chapter eight is after the pool of Siloam, and they are furious. And so Jesus kind of fights back, though. He doesn't back down. He goes as far to say, oh, by the way, you're children of Satan, not what you want Jesus to call you, right? I mean, he just like went there and they're like so upset. They're like, well, you're demon possessed. I mean, like this is like Jewish cuss words, by the way. I mean, they're, they're not holding back. And they, and they end, John chapter ends with them just being like, who do you think you are? And he says, before Abraham, which is the father of the Judeo-Christian faith, He says, before Abraham, I am. Which I am, if you're a Jewish person, no, that is the holy name of Yahweh. So Jesus, and John is is writing this down very clearly, open your eyes. Do you know who I am? And then John tells another story to to just drive this point home, and he tells it through the the story of a blind man receiving sight. This is where we're gonna start reading our text this morning in John chapter nine, Verse one, says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this, this shines light. There's two themes, or sorry, theories in that day that Jews strongly believed. The first one was, if you sinned, your punishment could be passed down to your children. That was one theory. The second theory is that you could actually sin in the womb. I don't know how you do that, but maybe your moms can tell me if you ever felt one of those kicks that felt a little bit more rebellious than the other ones. You're like, I don't know what you're doing, right? Um, but these, those are kind of the two theories in that day. And so they see uh, this young blind man who was born blind, and they ask a very common question, said, who sinned? Did he sin in the womb? Was he like a little sinful heathen fetus? Or were his parents super messed up? And Jesus' response is shocking. He says in verse three, neither. Neither this man or his parents sinned. But this happened, but I want to stop right here. The word this happened was added by the NIV and the Bible translators. It doesn't exist in the original language. And the reason why this is important, if it says, but this happened, it means that Jesus is beginning to explain why he's blind. But in the original language, he doesn't explain it. And the translators, it bothers them, so they added these words in. But this happened so that, but it actually just reads like this. 
but so that the works of God might be displayed. So Jesus kind of changes the subject. He's not really even tying it. He's not saying, like, this is why. He doesn't answer the question. Jesus does this all the time. He's a politician, right? He just changes the subject. But this is, listen to what he says. It's, it's brilliant. He says, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming where no one can work. And here it is, verse 5. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Can you just remember that phrase? Okay? So, disciples, why is this man blind? Who sinned? Jesus says, forget about that. While I'm here, I'm the light of the world. So it continues. Verse 6 says, after saying this, Jesus spits on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, no, that's me. I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, and I want you to pay attention to his response. The man they call Jesus. So the first introduction we have on who this blind man sees Jesus as is simply he's just a man. The man they call Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. He says, I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine him kind of rolling his newly useful eyes? Like, I don't know where he is. I was blind like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and Jesus is something really interesting here uh, that we have to pick up on. Well, one, I just want you to imagine, this probably happened near the temple. He has to walk. He's still blind. He's now walking with, with spit mud on his eyes a mile down a hill until he lands at the pool of Siloam, washes, and as he washes in this purification water that Jesus just said is himself, he sees. And he comes back seeing. I mean, he's never seen before in his life. I can't, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And as he's coming back, people are like, is that the blind guy? And then some people are like, no, it just looks like him, doppelganger. Um, and, some, and then he's like, no, that's really me. And the reason they're so flabbergasted is because in all of Scripture, we have no account of anyone being healed of blindness from birth, ever. It's never been done before. And so the blind man says, no, 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 this really, this really happened. And, but the, the Pharisees, or the, kind of the religious leaders of the day now, are even more furious for a couple of reasons. The first one is because this took place on the Sabbath. And if you go to Israel today, it is amazing to see Shabbat, right, Sabbath. Friday night to Saturday night, uh, the city shuts down. Like to this day, there's no cars on the road. Restaurants, shops are closed. And you're only allowed to walk a certain distance. It is wild. And all of these rules came from this book called the Talmud. Not from the scriptures, but the Talmud. There's this tradition of these 39 rules on how to keep the Sabbath. And one of those is you can't make bread. Well, what's interesting is it says when Jesus made mud, it's the same word for kneading bread. So Jesus here has broken the Sabbath by, by stirring mud. He's doing the same action as making bread. The second thing is when he puts mud on his eyes, it's the Greek word for anoint. 
Anointed to heal, which again, healing non-life-threatening disease on the Sabbath is also prohibited. So Jesus now broken two rules on the Sabbath. They're outraged, and so they call the blind man into there, into the synagogue, and they begin this heated debate. Is Jesus uh, just this wild demon-possessed man, or is he someone from God? And the thought is this, how can he be from God if he's breaking Sabbath? And the other camp is saying, how can he be from God, or he has to be from God because he's healing people who are born blind. And so they're, they're arguing, debating, they call the, the recently healed blind man in to there, and they begin to ask him, you know, what, what, what do you think? And he says, verse 17 says, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. This is kind of our second, the second time we see the blind man label him. First is, he's a man. Secondly, he says, he's a prophet, which is kind of a very Jewish way of saying this guy is, I don't know who he is, but he's super powerful. It's, it's a really respected term. We used it for hundreds of years within Judaism. And so he calls him and labels him. He's a prophet. But he doesn't throw Jesus under the bus. He doesn't even mention the kneading of the mud, the anointing of the eyes. And they're still confused. So they call for this, this guy's parents who are still alive. And they start, and they start saying, well, well, who did this? And, and you can feel the tension in the room because they're afraid of getting thrown out. Now, don't think about me like throwing you out of church. Like, you're never coming back to light church. The word thrown out means excommunicated, meaning you're out of the faith. You're no longer Jewish. You're no longer allowed to worship here ever again. And this is the fear that they're having because the Pharisees had that kind of authority. And so his parents show up. I mean, like, what crummy parents, right? So his parents show up, and they're like, well, what do you say? And they, their response is literally like, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. Like, they don't stand up for him or anything. And being of age means he's at least 13. And the reason they're pointing that out means he's probably a young guy, probably still in need of his parents' assistance, but his parents are not coming to his defense. They literally throw him under the bus. Ask him, he's of age. And they go back into argument, back into debate. And then the man speaks up and answers, and he says, now, that's remarkable. I love it. I mean, you, can, you can hear the gusto in this blind man's voice when he says, now, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Again, not physically, but significantly more. Socially, religiously, he's no longer allowed in the synagogue. The guy's probably like, man, I got to see the synagogue for about 30 minutes of my life. <laughs> I got kicked out. And so they, they throw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and worship him. Do you notice the new title he gave him? Right? 
He went from a man to a prophet. And then he says, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees were with him and said, and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. And end of chapter. Now here's the problem. The chapter ends right there, but the conversation doesn't. You see, later on, the, the translators added chapters and verses to help us find places easier, but the conversation doesn't end there. And this is, and I know we're reading a lot of text this morning, but stick with me. This is huge because what happens next connects everything together. So John chapter 10 then goes into this conversation about him being a good shepherd, which is why the authors are like, oh, he must have changed subject, but he hasn't. He's talking to the same audience, same blind guy, same Pharisees. He's just talking about how you're led and who his shepherd is. And we know this to be true because in John chapter 10, verse 21, he says, but others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem, it was winter. Now, this is fascinating because the story doesn't end with the blind man having this conversation. The story ends with this reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm sorry, not the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Dedication. Now, again, if you're like, okay, this is a different feast, yes, stick with me here. So we open the story with the Feast of Dedication when Jesus says, I'm the living water. This story about a blind man receiving sight ends with a different festival a couple months later, which is called the Feast of Dedication, which we know as Hanukkah. And the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, is known as the Holiday of Lights. And if you remember back to the beginning of chapter 9, what does Jesus say when his disciples ask him why this man is born blind? He says, I am the light of the world. And this dialogue ends with the statement, and it was the feast of dedication. It was Hanukkah. So the Pool of Siloam is this epicenter for Jesus taking two different festivals and saying, both of these are about me. The Feast of Tabernacles, that water you're pouring on the altar, I'm the water you need. The Feast of Dedication, that menorah you, that stayed lit for eight days, I'm the light of the world. And right in the middle of that is the story of this blind man who his eyes are opening not just physically but spiritually. And so John, in his masterful way, is trying to get his readers and his audience to understand this. Jesus is more than you think he is. Everything points to Jesus. Jesus has to be greater than you ever could have imagined. Open up your eyes. And, and the reason why I love this story is because this happened to me the last couple of weeks and it should be happening to me tomorrow and the next day and the next day is that with the rest of my life and into eternity would my eyes open more and more and more and more and more to how great Jesus is. This is the point. Why did, why did John write this story in the way he did? Because he's trying to get people to understand one thing. Jesus is greater than you ever imagined. 
Open your eyes. Open your eyes that these festivals point to him. Open your eyes that this blind man's healing is greater than just keeping Sabbath laws. Open your eyes at this, at the epicenter of all of this is Jesus himself saying, I am the Messiah. And this is our invitation this morning. What, what are we gonna do hearing a message like this, reading the scriptures as you go about your life? Is Jesus, are you allowing Jesus to move from a man to a prophet to the Lord of your life? Because this is not just something you do because you raised your hand at camp a few years ago. This is something we have to do all the time. Because if we're not careful, we'll become, we'll become like the Pharisees who should have known, but rather than opening up their eyes wider, their eyes are beginning to shut. And so this, word, this sermon is both an encouragement and a warning that how we view Jesus has to be monitored. Are, we, are our eyes being opened to who he truly is or are our eyes being shut because our worldview is getting smaller? And as I read this, I just can't help but feel a level of, of, of healthy conviction to say, man, I shouldn't have to travel 2,000 miles, 2,000 miles, probably more than that, halfway across the world to Israel to have my eyes open more and more because the same Holy Spirit exists here. The same word of God that was written thousands of years ago, I have in my hand right here. The problem, is, it, it, the problem is not that I don't have the resources. The problem is that I need more trips to Israel. The problem is if I'm not careful, my eyes just start getting shut. And it's my responsibility to make sure that I don't let them become hardened and callous and to invite the Holy Spirit to come and open those spaces in me. So I'm gonna invite the, the worship team to come on up. But I want us to, to just take an evaluation of, of how do you see Jesus? And I wanna just let you know right now, wherever you are, that's totally okay. Um, Maybe for you, you're at the, the point where you say, man, Jesus is, and you're in that section of being, he's, he's, a, he's a man. And by that, I would just kind of consider that someone to be observed and honored, right? You're, maybe you're here at church, and you're like, I'm just checking it out. I'm just trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. Uh, if, it's, if it's real, if Jesus is real. And if that's where you're at, I'm so glad that you're here. And maybe for some of you guys, you maybe move beyond that and, you're, and you've got the point where you're like, man, I, I think maybe Jesus is, is more than a man. Maybe Jesus is a prophet. And by prophet, I, I'm not talking about prophet in the, in the specific sense, but I'm talking about in the sense of someone who's just useful, powerful, maybe even convenient. And I would just encourage you, maybe Jesus is more than that. Maybe he's more than just kind of this 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 faith or this religion you have in your back pocket that you pull out when you need it. And maybe this morning you're feeling the Holy Spirit draw you to it. Maybe Jesus is more than a man. He's more than a prophet. Maybe he wants to be the Lord of my life. The word Lord in, in, in Greek means controller, meaning he has access to everything. And, and that's that's. That's our, the ultimate goal, I believe, from the heart of the Father is that our eyes would be open to the fact that this is not about anything else other than Jesus.
And we're invited into understanding and knowing Jesus at a greater level. The, um, I want to share with you guys, I'm going to share a different story than I did first service. My favorite, um, one of my favorite moments of the trip is after touring the Sea of Galilee for a few days, we got to go to Mount Arbel. And you probably don't recognize the name Mount Arbel because it's not really mentioned a lot in scripture. But it's the only mountain that overlooks the towns of Galilee. Capernaum, Magdala, um, and, and all of these areas we see mentioned. And this is where theologians believe Jesus would retreat to to be with his father. And it's like, it's a hike. If you were to hike the whole thing, it'd probably take you a few hours. And when you get up there, the view is just epic. And at the end of the day, we got to go to Mount Arbel, and I'm sitting on these rocks overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and the wind is blowing, and just knowing, man, this is where Jesus would go and spend time with his father. And, and the, the greatness of God was so tangible in that place. But I also had this thought, this kind of feels like Encinitas. <laughs> kind of feels like when I'm at Pipes and I'm looking at the ocean, I can feel that sea breeze hit me. And all of a sudden, I, I was reminded that that place was holy, not because just Jesus walked there, a place is made holy when the presence of God is there. And the presence of God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. As, as much in Encinitas as it is in Jerusalem. Think about that. And I know it's the Holy Land. And believe me, I nerded out so hard the past two weeks and I loved every minute of it. But I came back with a very clear understanding that God is as present here as he was there. And I would just ask that this morning that we would ask the same Holy Spirit who's blowing on Mount Arabelle, speaking and moving between the Father and the Son, the same Holy Spirit is in this very room. And we would just ask that God would just open up our eyes to the greatness of Jesus. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com. 